morning and welcome everyone. My name is Pastor Scott. I'm the lead pastor here at Bethany North, also the executive lead pastor of Bethany Community Church, uh, which allows me to be part of what God's doing in all six of our locations in the city. For over 100 years, God has given us favor and uh, an ability to be uh, on ministry for him, and it's, it's a joy to get to see what God's doing around our city and around the world with our partners. Uh, today, we have a bit of a uh, a moment in time to look at some of where the church is going in the year ahead, and we'll talk about some of our strategic and priorities and such. Uh, more importantly than that, kind of what God is going to do in your life in the year ahead. Um, just to kind of reorientate you, I know some of us have kind of been on Christmas vacation for a bit. Uh, we gathered on Christmas Eve, we had three services at 3, 5, and 11, and it was really encouraging to see over 750 people come to one of those three services to worship. Last Sunday, Pastor Ruth led us in Stories of Hope, kind of hearing personal reflections, some stories where God had shown up in 2019 in some of our believers' lives. Next week, Pastor Richard will kick off a new series called Spirit, Soul, Body. And Richard has been our senior pastor for 25 years. And this is kind of core DNA for him, core theology, that the indwelling power of Christ has an ability to impact our souls uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit and then actually impact our bodies as well. So Richard will be preaching next week on the launch of the Spirit, Soul, Body. Today, I wanted to kind of pause and look at the year 2020, and I have a sermon titled for us, Where Do We Go From Here? I'll start you with just this question. Do you believe that you've been blessed? Do you believe that you've been blessed by Christ? I'll follow that. Do you believe that you've been more than blessed? Do you believe that you've received more than even what God has shown you, that there's, there's more than just the blessing that you know you have? Do you believe that you've been more than blessed? Turn to somebody on your left or right or behind you if you're sitting in the front row or the back row. Or, turn to somebody on your left or right and just look them in the eyes and tell them you are more than blessed. You are more than blessed. Be a truth speaker. Look at them. Say, you are more than blessed. More than blessed. The reality is God's people, that though we sit in troubling times uh, politically, in, in world climate, uh, certainly in our city, some of us in, in, our, in our own faith stories, in our families of origin, um, the reality is that God has blessed us. And today we're going to look at the story of Daniel in the Old Testament, an incredible story that's kind of part history, part eschatology, which means kind of the end times. Angels show up, Jesus himself shows up, where God does some rem- remarkable things in the lives of Daniel, to be reminded that as lives of us that follow God, that we have been more than blessed. We've been changed from the inside out, and there is a power source that God wants to see us put in play here at the start of the new year and a new decade. Daniel 2, we're going to look at a lot of Daniel. I hope you brought your Bible, but let me just read you verse 44, be an anchor verse as we begin. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Will you bow your heads as I say a prayer as we begin? Lord God, thank you so much for your scriptures. Thank you for the message that comes through this book of Daniel. And God, we pray that you would remind us this morning that we've been more than blessed, that we have this double blessing of your spirit in us and your spirit through us, that you want to allow us, God, to claim this new identity, 
to, to live our lives that would influence our, our, our loved ones and our work cultures and, in fact, this whole city that we would have influence. And ultimately, God, that we would tap into the power that comes from one place, and that's the indwelling power of Christ given through the Holy Spirit. God, identity and influence, all from this new power. God, wake us up to that reminder this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Amen, amen. My hope today in our short time together is that through the book of Daniel that you will be reminded of your name and your influence and of God's power in your life through the Spirit. It is a, it is a new year. It's the beginning of 2020 and not only that, it's, I'm struck, it's the new year and a new decade. In, things are new. Do you believe, those of you that are in faith, do you believe that you are a new creation because of Christ in you? Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Okay. Why is it that so many of us get stuck in our old stories? If God is is doing a new work in us, that we are a new creation, that we have his indwelling power in us, why do so many of us feel stuck in an old story. In the book of Daniel, we get this incredible call to action by a man of faith that kind of claims his identity as being a citizen of a most high kingdom in the midst of foreign ground. Daniel is incredible because Daniel was written during the time of the occupation of Babylon over Israel. Daniel and many of the leaders of Israel were taken captivity. Daniel is written, scholars kind of disagree, it was written certainly about the time of captivity, about 600 BCE. Some, some folks think it was written about the year about 100 BC. We're, we're not sure about that. Daniel is part, you know, history, it's part uh, eschatology where God is taking us. It's part of a message about obedience, about how one man's identity could change the course of a nation. It's inspirational. And my belief is this morning that God has something to say to us as we look at this this old text. The first six chapters of Daniel are kind of these what's called court tales, kind of what happened in his actual life. And then the next six chapters are apocalyptic, where angels visit Daniel and Jesus himself shows up in the midst of the trial. It's incredible. Our hope is that we would know our identities in Christ, that we would have influence beyond our wildest dreams, and that we would have a power source beyond ourselves. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for a new year. I'm ready for a new decade. I'm tired of some of the ways that I was clinging to my old identity. I want an authority that God can heal me from the inside out, to be able to let other people know that his power is real for them too. Let's start at the beginning here, this idea that God wants us to know our name. If you start reading Daniel this week, it's 12 chapters. I kind of found it accidentally over the last couple months and just, it's been my devotional where I read little bits of, of chapters and just kind of pray over it. But one of the thing that's clear about Daniel is, is Daniel and his friends they, they, they know that they have an identity beyond what the king, the foreign king, can place on them. We know these names, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and we're going to get into that story in just a bit. If you're new to church or you're not familiar with the text, these are Daniel's the brothers in arms. When they were taken captive, they were dressed up in foreign garb. They were given turbans. They're in Babylon, though their home is Israel. 
But Israel hadn't obeyed God and, and foreign powers had kind of taken over. And so now the leading men and women of Israel are, are in captivity. They're dressed up in a culture not their own. They're given different names. But no matter what, they never forget their identity is in who God says they are. And because Daniel stays anchored in who God says he is, and he is anchored in his obedience, you see over and over in the book of Daniel, Daniel is reading the scriptures. Daniel is praying for God to reveal himself to him. Daniel turns to his dreams for God to speak to him, even when he's not listening with his, with his cognitive mind, but listening with his spiritual mind. And God reveals just himself more and more and more. There's this identity in Daniel beyond just what his present tense circumstance is where he knows that though things look bleak on the outside, God is anchoring him in his identity. Daniel 2.20 says, praise be to the name of God. This is Daniel now speaking because he's asked God for revelation in his dreams and God has spoken to him in surprising ways. Daniel himself says, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and season. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows that lies in darkness and light dwells with them. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you. You've made known to us the dream of the king. So there's this king, this bad king, Nebuchadnezzar, who has asked anyone in the kingdom who can interpret his dreams. It's amazing what God wants us to use as we're anchored in our identity in him to to influence the kingdoms around us. You see this kind of, you know, praise be to God, praise be to God. You got to remember that the context of Daniel, he's, he's living these words out in the midst of captivity, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles from his hometown, his hometown under siege and ransacked, and still he trusts his identity and who God says he is. The, the fact of the matter is, this goal of our spiritual journey is the transformation of ourselves, which will require us both to know God more and know ourself more. Remember what Jesus says, if anyone wants to lose themselves, they'll find themselves in me. So certainly part of our journey is this losing ourselves and laying all of our identities at the altar of Christ. Anything that we take credit for, anything that's on our job title, any of our earthly relationships, all these are identities that are important, but they're second to our identity in Christ. And so when we lay those things on, our, on the altar, Christ says, I will establish you and I will remind you that your true identity is in me. Or as the ancient text, the art of war says, if you don't know yourself or your enemy, you'll lose every time. But if you know yourself and know your enemy, you need not fear in the middle of a hundred battles. So as Christians, and we're going to be getting into this in the next six-week series about spirit, soul, body, we really need to hunger in our identity being anchored in who God says we are. In David Benner's work, The Gift of Being Yourself, he says, identity is never simply a creation. It's always a discovery. True identity is always a gift of God. Being most deeply your unique self is something that God desires because your true self is grounded in Christ. God created you in uniqueness and seeks to restore you to that uniqueness in Christ. Finding and living out your true self is fulfilling your destiny. And so for Daniel in this story, 
he, he just lives out that every time persecution comes, he just trusts his identity is in who God says he is. He shows up in obedience in scriptures, and he calls out to God in both repentance and hunger for God to reveal himself, and then God speaks to him, and angels show up to him, and Christ himself reveals himself to Daniel later on in the book. It's incredible. And that's the kind of church we want to have that's so hospitable in the year ahead that people see God moving in us, that we're tapped into our true identity that's deeper than anything that we can see with our eyes and who Christ says we are. And when people see God moving like that, they become hungry to tap into that identity for themselves too. And when we as a church live into this hospitality where when people come, they see God moving, man, that's, that's a hospitality that can change our culture. That when people walk in the door, they feel alive, that somebody looks them in the eyes, that they know that they matter here. Because relationships and mission go hand in hand. You can't be totally isolated and experience the fullness of Christ. The story of Daniel is a story of relationships in the midst of a brutal place. And so no matter the king, and there's four or five kings that come against Daniel and his friends just in this little text, but it's a story of relationship. Before Daniel was, his friends were thrown into the furnace. He, they gathered together in hunger for God to move in relationship. When Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den, he asks his friends to pray for him. And there's something that happens in the, these men's identity, not in what the king who, who says they are, but in who God says they are, the high king of heaven, that they have a power beyond themselves. Now, this is incredible. Like in the first six chapters of Daniel, you have, you have his three buddies that get delivered from the furnace. We'll talk about that in a moment. You have Daniel himself is, who's thrown into the lion's den. The lions were, were held for gladiator conquests in Rome. They were used as persecution. They were, enemies would be fed to lions here in Babylon. Daniel is thrown into the lion because he won't take his identity from the king, but he takes identity in who God says he is. And so he's thrown into the lion's den. We don't know exactly how God spares him, but we just know that God spares him. And at the end, the king, now King Darius, is amazed because what he's seen God do in this new identity of Daniel. The king says in Daniel 6, may you prosper greatly, Daniel. I now issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. This is the king of Babylon speaking here. He is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of lions. So there's something remarkable that's happening that this king that has earthly identity sees God moving in this man, a a man who came from a foreign place who's been given some authority, but this man, Daniel, has such an intimacy with the inflowing power of God. There's such an identity in who God says he is. Even when the king tries to throw persecution at him, not only does he survive, he thrives. And then the king says, I want a faith like that. And so when God comes alive in us as people, power sources of this world pay attention. And so we're called not to be shaking our finger at the world, but be trying to get more and more and more of our identity in who God says we are. That we're supposed to be coming to life, healing from the inside out, experiences with the Holy Spirit, so that God would come alive in us in such a way that the world would pay attention. I mean, that's, got, that's like an invitational life. 
And it's amazing sometimes with Christianity because it said we're the only army in the world that likes to kill ourselves with friendly fire. We like to judge each other. Oh, man, yeah, you know, they say they're a Christian, but, you know, they're this or that. Or, you know, they're, they're, they're supposed to be, you know, coming to church, but they haven't been for a while. Or, you know, they don't, they don't give the way we do, or they don't volunteer like us. We're really, really hard on ourselves as a church. But we're called to be living with this identity in Christ so infilling us that people around us become aware, not because of our judgment, but because of our life. And our joy. I've said it before. Like, what if the church was more like a Sounders game? I've got this friend. You're not a soccer fan. That's fine. We're praying for the Seahawks to win. We know that God loves the things we love. So we just want the Seahawks to win and not play at 10 a.m. next Sunday, right? Praise Jesus. But I have this friend. He loves the Sounders. He loves them. And here he is in the center of the picture. He doesn't judge people that don't love the Sounders, if you like the Seahawks or the Mariners, especially the Mariners, he might just have pity on you, but he won't judge you. <laughs> but he's always inviting people into the game. He's, al- he's always about it. He's had season tickets since the beginning. And if the, if the team's away, he's going to host a party if he can. Last year, he invited some buddies to spring training, soccer has spring training. Who knew, right? When, when there's a game, he's always gathering our friends and our community And the thing that's remarkable about this friend, his love of the game inspires community. People start to rally around it. The people that have season tickets around him have started to pay attention. A couple weeks ago, a bunch of our friends went to the show of a guy that's in a band who sits near us in our seats. And during the show, they're in Ballard, six or eight other season ticket holders from the Sounders We're at the live music show. A community is built, not by judgment, but by invitation, by pursuit, by passion. What would it look like for you at the beginning of a new year for your passion for Jesus to well up in you in such a way that it becomes more and more invitational for others to say, I want what you have. What would it look like in your home for Christ to come alive in you, to bring more peace and more joy so that your kids or your roommates or your spouse would say, hey, let's do this together. Maybe God wants to transform you this year, that you would know your identity is who God says you are and that that would well up in you into an invitational life that more and more and more people would want to join you on the journey. This is what it looks like to know our names. And then second, we're called to be living in such a way that we would gain influence from our new identity. Know that our, our life is actually influence. If you brought your Bible, turn to Daniel 3. This is the incredible story of Daniel's friends thrown into the furnace. And, and I'll move through it quickly. I know some of us kind of knew this story in childhood. You may have not read it in such a while. Daniel 3 says this, at this, this time... Uh, as the persecution, Israel's still in Babylon. 
Daniel and his friends have been given some authority, but people are, are, are troubled by their identity, not by their earthly king, but by their heavenly king. And so there's, there's troublemakers. There's always going to be trouble in our life of faith. If we make an idol of a trouble-free life, we're, we're sadly mistaken. The scriptures don't promise not having persecution. They just promise a high king of heaven who will be with us in the midst of every trouble and every trial. So at this time, astrologers came forward denouncing the Jew. They say to Nebuchadnezzar, the king, may the king live forever. May you live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree. Everyone who hears the sound of the music will fall down and worship the image of gold. And whoever does not fall down and worship the idol will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews who you've given authority, king, in Babylon, this Shadrach, this Meshach, this Abednego. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They don't serve your gods, nor they worship They don't worship the gold you've set up. So furious with rage, because earthly kings want our identity to be forged by them. They don't like to be replaced by a heavenly king. Nebuchadnezzar is furious with rage. He he summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not their real names. Their real names are, are Jewish names. You can read in Daniel 1, but that doesn't matter. They know whose they are. They know who they are. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar the king said, is it true that you don't serve my gods, that you don't worship me, and when you hear the music, that you don't bow down? The three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they replied, King, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. What confidence. And he'll deliver us from your majesty's hands. If you have your Bible open, you should underline or star this next part. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God you've set up. This is such an audacious claim of faith. Even if God does not show up in the way that we are asking him to, we will not bow down and worship you. Now, this deserves its own sermon or its own sermon series, but I will pause here in the midst of Daniel 3 to just reflect, this is what faith looks like. We're outcome-minded. Jesus, deliver me from this furnace. I pray, amen, and then we wait. And then the furniture, not the furniture, the furnace gets turned up, and we're waiting And these men show us what faith looks like. Even if God doesn't show up in the way that we expect, we won't bow down to you. What are they saying? They're saying, even if it costs us our life, it will not cost us our faith. Now, why does this matter? Why are you so excited, Scott? Because here's the thing. Many, many, many of us are scared to ask God to do something powerful in our our lives. We've been disappointed before. We have the burn marks on our robes that are our present. We trusted in God to to heal our son, to to heal the relationship, to, to, to fix that thing that I was worried about, to provide. And when God didn't show up in the way that we expected, man, I don't know if I can trust God in the furnace. But if you can't trust in the furnace, you can't trust anywhere. You ask people about their faith journey, and what do they tell you? They tell you two things. I used to believe, and then there was a furnace, or I still believe. Because in the midst of every trial and persecution, my God shows up. 
Man, are you saying only good things happen? Of course not. You know my story. I'm saying in faith, we are called to have audacity to believe and hope and asking God to do more and more and more and more. And even when we hope, God is expanding our capacity to believe that he'll show up next time. So no, even if he doesn't show up in the way we expect, we'll never bow down to you. See, we have an identity, and we know that our identity becomes our influence. And so the men are bound. They're thrown into the furnace. They're, the men who are carrying them die, and the three men are, th- are thrown into the furnace. The story continues. Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He orders the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his armies to tie them up and to bind them. The king's command was so urgent, the furnace so hot, the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, they fell into the furnace. And then the king looks to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. Look, he says, it's incredible. When God shows up, it gets the attention of every earthly authority. I see four men walking in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. He looks like Jesus Christ. Man, they never told me there'd be a furnace. They never told me that things would die, that I want to live. They never told me at the beginning of a new year that my, my resolutions wouldn't come to pass, that I'd face persecution. They never warned me, you haven't been paying attention. You will get hot sometimes. You will feel like the, the powers that control you are turning the furnace up, and God does not promise a fireplace-free existence. He promises his presence. And God promised to show up. And he shows up in the fire. And then Nebuchadnezzar, you could read it yourself, he, he worships God because he saw God do something amazing. Man, if you're going to believe you're more than blessed, know this. Your blessing is meant to become influence. If you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket of Christ in you, the hope of glory, and it's just your little private victory, you're missing the joy of the incarnation. We are called to be more than blessed. And men, we will look at this in the study when we study the life of Abraham. We are blessed to be a blessing, more than blessed, more than just happiness, provision, success. God's like, I want to put those things in your hand, but I want you to be more than blessed. I want you to be a blessing and an influencer. Man, into your workplace, into your homes, transform that our faith isn't something just that lives in our head. It's so moving through us that we're actually better parents. We're actually better friends. We're better stewards with our money. We're able to give ourselves away. We're, we're volunteering or we're, we're serving in the local church. There's something in us. There's an identity and there's an influence that come from one place, the high king of heaven. And see... For many, 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 many of us, we're scared to be activated in our faith. It's the second big thing our church is about this year is our leaders you will be hearing more about in 2020. We want more activation in our congregation. We want more, more hospitality and we want more activation. You're like, activation sounds interesting. Sounds like a chemical I put in my hot tub. What are you talking about? It means we want you to come alive here. We want you to know what a disciple does here. 
We want you to know how to belong here and how for the Spirit of God to so move you that you start to experience transformation and influence. But many, many, many of us, man, we have two big things blocking this discipleship pathway. Many of us are busy. We're busy, which makes us hurried, which means we just miss a lot. I'm going to be talking about busyness in this upcoming series on Spirit, Soul, Body. We're going to talk a lot about busyness. We're busy. The biggest detractor to our spiritual life for most of us in the room isn't some sort of belief that God's not powerful. We just live really busy lives. And we miss God's power when we do. We're busy and we're fearful. We're really fearful of what God can or cannot do. We're fearful what influence might look like. Over the break... I was listening to a devotion with Heather, Acts 18, 9 through 10. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Acts 18. Paul's feeling in Corinth, he's feeling pretty, pretty, pretty worried. And Jesus just speaks this word over him. Do not be afraid. Do not be a coward to fear. Know that I have many people in this city. We just need an approach where our lives be more and more forged into the the approach of Christ reigning in our lives. My uh, mentor wrote a book during, during, uh, just recently released. I just, I'm trying to get the words out. I read it during break. Um, It's it's called, um, what's it called? I think we have a picture of it. The Resilient Faith by Jerry Sitzer, How the Early Christian Third Way Changed the World. It's really interesting because what Sitzer talks about here, he's a, he's a church historian. We talked about how did the early church go from 5,000 at Pentecost to, to, to 50 million? How did it become 65,000 home churches by the year 300 AD? His disciples were trained. They were encouraged. They knew what it meant to be apprenticed to Jesus, to be interning with Jesus, to be, to be following him, to be changed by him. Sitzer talks like this in Resilient Faith. The fact is Christianity in America is declining in both numbers and influence. The culture is changing, and we must therefore recognize that we live in a world very different from the one that existed even a half century ago during what appeared to be the golden age of American Christianity. We have a new challenge, not to pine for the past, which is hardly ideal anyway, but to plot a course for the future. The best hours of Western Christianity might be ahead of us, not behind us, assuming we dare to think differently about what it means to be Christian and to live as Christians in a culture that's changing. That's really powerful. The early church was called the third people, the third race. It was coined by a Roman historian writing to another leader. He said, there's something about these Christians. They have an identity and an influence beyond what the empire could see and define. See, when we think about third way, sometimes we think of it like, okay, this is, you know, we're, we're not going to be like the you know, super right wing or the super left wing. We're going to try to find some kind of consolidation in the middle, some sort of general compromise. But actually, in the early church, they lived out something that looked totally different. In the early church, in the first several hundred years, option one was to just, you know, give allegiance to the Roman Empire, to believe that all, all that matters is the earthly powers that be. And option two is the Jewish church, which practiced 
kind of receding into the woodwork and kind of hiding away and squirreling away their truth and kind of having practices so independent from the empire that no one could recognize them at all. But the early church, these, these third way, these new Christians had a, an identity and an influence that was attractive, that spawned just a movement of people. It's incredible. Sitzer continues that when we both reject accommodation, option one, and isolation, option two, the early Christians immersed themselves in the culture as followers of Jesus and servants of the kingdom of God. They could not rely on the kind of cultural props that make being Christian normal or natural or convenient. They had to choose for Christ. They had to live by conviction. They had to count the cost. Of course, nominal Christians lived back then as they do now, but on the whole, Christians living in the first few centuries were serious about discipleship. They had to be. I love that. It's time to get serious for Christ and in relationship and in in joy, but that our lives would look more and more like identified with Christ, influencers, influencers for him. Or as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. This is what we're pursuing Identity, influence, all from this third point, from a power source beyond ourselves, from from the Spirit of God in the form of Christ himself. Over and over again in Daniel, you see a man of discipleship who is reading the text, who is praying, and when he does, God shows up to transform him. He has a power beyond what he can attain by himself. Daniel 12.3 says this, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Just read it. Daniel 9, Daniel's praying and worshiping and confessing, and an angel comes to him. Daniel 10, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Since the first day, you set your mind to gain understanding, and the heavens are paying attention. That when we are serious about understanding more of Christ in our lives, that Christ wants to expand that work. We talk a lot in schools and on teams right now about a growth mindset. I'd like us for the church this year to have a worship mindset. That the front door to the transformation we hunger for is worship of High King of Heaven, Jesus. And as we worship him, as we put him first in our lives, that he wants to change us for his glory. That we're, we're more than blessed. That we have this, this new wineskin from the new wine, Mark 2, stop with the old. That we would have this newness and fruitfulness marking us. That's what Christ wants to do. And that's the beautiful thing about Christ and Daniel, this, these little cameos. Daniel 10, Christ shows up. Daniel 10, 18 and 19. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength and said these two things. Christ is speaking hundreds of years before the incarnation. This is incredible. Christ says this, Daniel 10, do not be afraid, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed. Or in other words, do not be afraid, you who are more than blessed. He said, peace. Be strong now. Be strong. Two things that Jesus says that I want you to hear this morning. Two words that he's speaking into your life this morning. Peace for those of you that are troubled this morning. And be, be strong. Strength for those of you feeling weak. Peace, be strong. Because the spirit of God wants to come alive in you. May we be a church where the Holy Spirit is increasing in us 
and that the city is transformed by an influence that can come from one place. God, God, God's identity in us, his influence in us through us. God wants to anoint us in the year ahead to lead a movement for him. And that'll happen as we get hungrier and hungrier and hungrier for his spirit in our life. More spirit, more spirit, more of you, Jesus, in our life. More, more, more. May you know your identity. May you have an influence into the places that God has put you, not just at the end times where he's put you today. And I recognize for some of you, it feels like Babylon. For some of you, you are in furnaces. You are in lion's den. God promises you not just a quick route around it, but his presence in the middle of it. And may his spirit so fill you that you, you are blessed and increased in the year ahead. On December 28th, this church lost one of our saints, a woman of deep, deep faith, Nancy Repenning, a woman in her 90s who went to be with the Lord on December 28th. Incredible life. About two weeks before she passed, one of the deacons and I got to go and serve her communion. She was at King's Garden there in Shoreline. We got the word. She's, you know, Nancy's on hospice. The days are numbered. Oh, she's, she's, you know, very last days. Can't even come to church anymore. Alberto and I go to serve her communion, and as we walked up at hospice, it's like, oh, you know, is she going to even recognize us? Is, is she going to be comatose? I'm feeling kind of fearful. We get there, and she's watching Wheel of Fortune with like 20 <laughs> old people at King's Garden. I'm like, Nancy, oh, hey, pastor. Like, we want to pray with you. We want to serve your communion. Can I, can I carry you to your room? She's like, no, I'll walk, you know, and she just makes her way down the hallway, and I'm like, do they have the right, is this really the last days? And sure enough, it was her last days. We got to uh, serve her communion, and she was just so grateful. And then we got to pray with her. And as she reflected back on 90-plus years on this earth, she says, you know, looking back, I think there's one thing that's true. I've been more than blessed. I've been more than blessed. The Spirit's work in my life and influence and identity, I've been more than blessed. That stayed with me. As we start a new decade as a church, may you know your identity in Christ. May you have an influence in the places he's put you, and may you receive this double blessing, this more than blessed, where God allows you to pour out and help change the world desperate for more of his likeness. May that be our hope and prayer in the, in the year ahead. Let's pray now. But God, thank you so much for these moments as a church to open up your scriptures, we open up our lives. Lord God, will you remind us, those of us in the furnace, those of us in the lion's den, those of us just out in, in, in a wonderful place, we're all in different places, but God, we want to be anchored in your identity in us, that we are yours, God. We are who you say we are. Would you give us as a church that hunger for that deeper identity? Would you give us influence into our homes and into our jobs and into the city and into the world, God? We're, we're nervous right now about what's going on, and yet we know, God, that you are in control. We'll trust that. And Lord, we're hungry for more of your spirit in this church and our lives spilling over, bringing with it a fruitfulness and a passion and a joy. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. It's Communion Sunday. And so we'll have communion stations on the side and the front. On the night of which he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, he broke it, he said, this is my body, take and eat. 
And then he lifted up the cup of the new covenant. He said, this is my blood poured out for all for forgiveness of sins. And so the communion stations on the side or in the front will approach them clockwise. And as you come, I would ask you to come with open hands. Because your communion servers want to put the gluten-free bread in your hands. They want to remind you, you have been more than blessed. You just receive. And then take the the bread and dip it in the juice. And as you do, may you hear your identity spoken over you. Women and men forged by high king of heaven. May you know that you belong to him. Let me pray for the elements now. God, thank you for communion Sunday. Thank you that you take this gluten-free bread and this juice and you bring it to life. God, we come hungry, we come desperate, we come wanting all that you want to put into our hands this morning and this year. We would beg, God, that you would move in our lives and our church in powerful ways. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Will you stand with us as we close in song? And when your heart's ready, our communion stations are open. And there'll be prayer ministers that would like to pray with you after service if you'd like prayer.